Welcome to Sunday morning with Mission Vineyard. Those of you who are here, those of you who are online, I just put my hands in my fleece pockets because I'm still chilly. I don't know why. Maybe because the door keeps on opening, people are coming in. For those of you who are online this morning, welcome. I hope you're cozy. If uh, uh, the wind is knocked out of anything, we'd love to help you out. With, if uh, there are any kind of emergencies with utilities, please let us know in the chat this morning if somehow you're online but having issues. Uh, we'd love to pray for you. There's going to be all kinds of opportunities to respond. One thing that you don't have online this morning is a response sheet that we can send to you when we get some time, but uh, there will be some some ways that we can respond and we'll be intentional online so that you know exactly where to fill in the lines that you don't have. If that didn't confuse you, we'll do a better job of it in just a minute. My name is John Arelli. Would you stand with me this morning? This is an hour that we have out of our week to worship God and let him be the center of absolutely everything. We welcome you, Jesus, into all of life. So with that, would you pray with me? Just We have a simple liturgy. It's just three words prayed across the whole globe, really. It's just come, Holy Spirit. And come, Holy Spirit is a prayer of opening the doors of our hearts. It's not a telling God to do something. It's not working something up. It's just a simple invitation that in this moment, God, the door of my heart is open and you can do whatever you want. Come, Holy Spirit. Jesus, we welcome you into all of life this morning. So would you speak to us? Would you move through us? God, would you be honored by our worship this morning, the simple offering of singing, just like the angels do all the time. God, we're learning. We're learning what it means to be in your presence and respond. So teach us this morning how to respond. We worship you, God. We worship you. Let our worship be an offering to you, God. Let's, let's sing together.
teach us his ways in order that you might die for us take our place on the cross in order that you might rise for us having defeated our enemies you are so good would you say it aloud Lord you are good Lord you are good you may be seated we're going to take communion now and I'm going to read from Luke 24 after Jesus had raised from the dead Two of his disciples, not knowing that he had been raised from the dead, were walking in the country, and Jesus walked up to them and started accompanying them and talking to them, and they didn't know it was him. And they get to their house, and let me read what it says. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. I think Jesus does that sometimes in our lives today. <laughs> but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road? While he was opening the scripture to us, that same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. When we take communion, we break the bread and we drink the juice. Jesus is made real to us. That's what it's about. Jesus is made real to us. The resurrected Jesus. So if you would prepare, hold it just for a moment. We would take the bread. We remember that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Would you break the bread and then would you same way after supper he took the cup and he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood all of you take and drink it so let us take and drink together Lord open our eyes that we may see you that we may know that you're alive and that you're in our midst we rejoice in this communion today in Jesus name amen amen Good. Oh, you are good. You're good. 
Good morning, Mission Vineyard. So glad to see you all here this morning or online. I can't see you, but I trust you're there. Um, this is, my name is Arlita Arelli, and I just wanted to welcome you this morning to Mission Vineyard. We're so glad you chose to worship with us this morning. A couple of quick, quick announcements. Uh, first, if you are new, visiting, or were here last week and didn't get one of these lovely gift bags as a guest of ours, um, there's more on the back table. Inside, you'll find some information about Mission Vineyard and Vineyard Churches, as well as uh, what we call a manna bag. Oftentimes, we're driving around the city, and we encounter a friend who may need um, some help, and we often don't carry cash with us, so it's a way for us to extend God's love to them um, through a practical way. So we have those bags um, inside here as a gift to you, and we also have additional ones for people that may need them or just want to hand out a single bag, but they don't need all the materials. Inside also is a connect card, so if you'd like to know what's going on in the life of the church, we have a simple card. It adds you to our um, weekly newsletter to find out what's going on in the church, and if you include your mailing address, pastor, our pastor will send you a short uh, note in the mail with a Starbucks gift card as an appreciation for visiting with us. Um, we also have on the back table a prayer request card. We place a high value on prayer and inviting Jesus into all of life. And oftentimes, we can't solve our own problems. We need to invite Jesus in to do that. And so the prayer request card is just a way to invite Jesus and the community into praying. We won't announce it from the front or anything like that. But there are a group of people that pray every Tuesday for the different needs within the church. And so it's just com kept confidential with there. You don't even have to include your name if you don't want to. But it's a way to share what's going on in your life and invite Jesus into that. Uh, this past Wednesday, we started something called Alpha. Um, all the enthusiasm was for people who were there the first week, but don't worry. If you missed it this past Wednesday, you can still come this Wednesday. We're going to show a short video, just kind of, again, sharing what Alpha's about, and then I'll come up and finish announcements. Every day, we are inundated with so much information. There's so many questions remain. How can I find my purpose? Why am I here? What should I believe? How can I find peace? Why is life so unfair? How can I thrive in challenging times? How can I make the most of my life? These are life's big questions, but there's rarely enough time to think them through properly. If you live to be 70, you're going to spend 20 years and 3 months asleep, 10 years and 5 months watching TV, 5 years and 9 months in some form of transportation, 7 years and 6 months eating and drinking. Why not spend less than 24 of them asking life's biggest questions and try out So Alpha is going to be uh, every Wednesday starting at 6.30 p.m. We will provide dinner. We provide childcare, So you can come right from work. Um, you're exhausted. You can even come a few minutes late. We will welcome you. Um, just happy to have you there. It's an opportunity to engage, ask questions. Even if you've been a follower of Jesus a long, long time, we all, new questions crop up. Um, life circumstances happen, and we start to wonder things. And so it's a great opportunity if you don't even know how to ask like if your friends have questions and you don't know what to say to them, just bring them with you and then the conversation, your table leaders will help kind of guide the conversation that way. Um, people uh, in our church love our church because of the friendliness and welcomeness and often that happens through our small groups. Most of our weekly small groups are taking a pause while we do Alpha. 
but we still have uh, monthly small groups that meet. And all that information is on smallgroups.missionvineyard.org. Um, but our, women's, uh, our, our women are getting together this Saturday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon at Lucy's house, and so there are yellow invitations on the back table if she didn't already um, give you one this morning. But it's a great opportunity to also to invite women in your life to come have um, some light snacks together and get to know one another and pray for one another. I'm going to pray for our offering and the rest of our service. So, Lord, we thank you so much for this space. We thank you, Lord, for all you're doing in us individually and in us collectively. And we ask for more, Lord, not because we need more, Lord, but we want you in our lives. We want your presence in our lives. We want you to um, be real to us and our neighbors and our friends and family. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use every cent uh, donated to Mission Vineyard, whether online or in person, Lord, for your kingdom work. I pray for the remainder of the service that you would bless John with his words today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Arlita. Good morning. morning. We're in a series called Real Love. Who wants real love? I want real love. There's a scripture verse that has been uh, centering our hearts on this series. And actually, I put it incorrectly on all the slides before today. The right one is this. It's from 1 John 4, 9. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we may have eternal life through him. This is, say it with me, real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. For the longest time, and actually one of the biggest battles of my life, is thinking that I have to ramp up real love in my life. In fact, real love isn't real unless it is profound and Italian. <laughs> real love sounds like a Ferrari engine expressed through the human body. That's what I think real love is. And unless real love is expressed that way, it's not really real love. And so I'm often disappointed by this real love that is calm and demure, but so nevertheless, uh, when I proposed to my wife, uh, tomorrow we'll have been dating 23 years, and so we've, I proposed to her around winter time, and in Boston, it was snowy, and the snow had frozen, and so it was perfect to set candles out in a column leading through a park to a rock covered with a blanket with roses all over the place. And I had friends that I had convinced somehow to do this for me. So I picked up Arlita from the train station and I'm in some borrowed car. I think maybe it was mine. I don't know. We're young. It was our last year of college and uh, broke probably. And so uh, friends of mine promised, oh, we'll definitely set this up for you and it's going to be great. And so we come down off the interstate and down this road towards this park and all these candles are lined up and there's this place and there's a police car at the corner of the park with its lights on. And I thought, well, this is not the extravagant that I was really looking for. And then uh, I went slowly and Arlita's wondering, why are we getting closer to a police officer? And finally, my friends had convinced the police officer to go. And she's nervous, and there's no parking spaces, so I just run up on the curb. She says, why are you running the car up on the curb? This is extravagant love, right? This is, 
this is what real love is, isn't it? And so we, I run up on the curb, and uh, we get to this place of this beautiful um, uh, 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 walkway of candles that are lit and votives leading to this rock with the blanket, and, and there's roses there, and... I think she gets it, but my wife doesn't get, like, extravagant. She's just nervous, and there's a police car. That's all she's thinking about. And so I finally get to this rock, and I've got this ring, and I get down on one knee, and I'm nervous, and it's cold. It's cold. And my teeth are chattering, and I propose. And she says, yes, I think, feeling bad for me, <laughs> that I am nervous and freezing. And so she's like, all right, can we go now? I mean, so... For me, my big Italian gesture, this is my Ferrari love moment, turned into this broken down, pick your worst favorite car moment where the engine tried to start and failed and we just sort of rolled down the way with AAA towing us home. That's what the moment, no, we were fine. That's the emotional moment. You see, I'm trying to bring more analogy. This is real love, right? When really, my wife, who's not easily impressed at all, is not impressed by these things. She wants real love. And for her, real love is demonstrated by a long-suffering, trustworthy, unfailing commitment that she would know that I would have towards her for the rest of her life. Uh, we're going to be talking about a couple of things over this next two weeks. Today, we're going to be engaging issues like divorce and like singleness. And it, uh, today, we'll not get PG-13. But next week, we'll. Next week, we'll be engaging issues like sex and what does it mean to posture ourselves towards the LGBTQ community but still remain biblically grounded? We'll be discussing those things. And so I want to give you a week-long warning to prepare yourselves and maybe your kids. And actually, we're going to prepare as well uh, in the upstairs classrooms for kids that generally don't feel comfortable upstairs because may, they may feel too big, but they don't feel ready for those kind of conversations or you don't feel ready for those conversations with them. We're going to make sure that upstairs is really comfortable for them next week. Today, though, before I start talking about divorce and signalness, the Lord, I'm going to take a risk here. The Lord, I believe, wanted to say something. Because these, these moments of talking about divorce and signalness, they get to the core of how we navigate this issue of real love. And they can become very sensitive. And in the past, especially if you've been around the church community, they can be places of real shame where somebody has shamed you for these moments. And I believe that God wanted to say a couple things before we started today. And it's not coming up on my iPad, and I want to read it from my phone. Lord, what do you want them to know today? What are you saying? John, go out there and tell them how much I love them. Tell them what my love is good for. It's good for laying down their lives for one another and seeing things through. It's the exact opposite of how love is treated these days. Lead them to a place today where they know my love by how compassionate and never failing I am towards them. 
Let them commit themselves to me like I've committed myself to them. So, Lord, I pray that any words that I say would be just about that. And your compassionate love would be the first thing and the last thing today that we lean on, that we grab hold to, that we think about through the week that forms us in our faith. Help us, God, to focus on your compassionate love. In Jesus' name, amen. Real love. The best example of real love, we've already read out of 1 John. The example is Jesus. The example is Jesus. Nevertheless, Paul has no problem talking about this. As we go through today, we're going to be hitting scripture after scripture of looking at real love and posturing ourselves towards real love in marriage, in friendships. But first, in 1 Corinthians 13, I want to read this verse that you have heard at every single wedding you have been to. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It doesn't rejoice about the injustice of others, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is ever always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. So you've got a blank there, and for those of you who love these blanks and filling them in, real love is judged by how it endures trial. Real love is judged by how it endures trial. The mistake that we can make is by judging love by what we see on television. What's the success of love on television? Boy, it just means like Hallmark movies. Do y'all like Hallmark movies? Whoo, they are the best, aren't they? It's always the same actor and actress with a different name, maybe. Maybe different actors and actresses, but the same name. And generally, they, they come to life, and there's this mistake involved, but all of a sudden, they find each other, and more mistakes happen. But at the end, they're in love, and their lives are completely figured out. Oh, that's real love, right? Paul's not talking about himself as we look at 1 Corinthians. He's not saying, look at my example, because I... I'm not boastful or proud or rude. I don't demand my own way. In fact, Paul was actually very rude. Even though he became a follower of Jesus, before he was a follower of Jesus, he murdered people for fun. Just because he started following Jesus did not mean that all of a sudden he became the character example of what real love is. No, Paul has to go and say, y'all, Jesus, he did, he was a Texan, y'all, <laughs> Jesus is the example, as he's talking about not demanding his own way, not irritable, keeps no record of being wronged, doesn't give up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, he's talking about what Jesus thinks of us. You're here today. I don't know where you've come from. I don't know what love has looked like in your life, but I want to let you know. Real love 
is judged by Jesus and his love towards us. And let me tell you, whatever trials you've been through, Jesus' love endures trial. Today is a day that I believe a couple of us who have felt like, I don't know if God's love will ever reach me again. I'll, I'll be religious. I'll try to do better. I'll try to do better. And you're living with some of that baggage of, I guess I just have to do better. And God is saying, I just want to love you where you're at. Let's talk about real love and friendships. I want to talk about how, how COVID has changed friendships, how we're more isolated and we're more satisfied. We've become more satisfied with being alone than ever. There's an article that I was reading that college students are now finally coming back on campus and they have to learn a special skill as they're coming back on campus and it's called small talk. College students have forgotten or have never used small talk before. They're getting back onto campus, they're getting to their studies, they've been online for so long, the only engagement that they've had with their education has been through Zoom or some online place where they didn't have to have small talk. Now, human interactions are happening in person. So what does it look like now that we have this opportunity to be in person? All of you introverts, all of a sudden, for the first time in years, don't have an excuse not to call people back. For all of you introverts who have said, oh, thank God, I don't have to say yes to that dinner engagement or that lunch engagement or that friend that called me for coffee, I can just say that it's COVID. <laughs> now that those kinds of things are being pared away, we're having to learn what real love looks like in friendships and what Jesus may be calling us to. So what kind of real love does God imagine in our friendships? Real love flourishes through loving relationships of the same sex outside of marriage. Now, I want to make sure to clarify here, I'm not saying that real love flourishes through sexual relationships outside of marriage. I'm saying loving relationships. One of the things that we have had to face as society is whenever we think of love, we think of sex. And so friendships, especially between the same sex, either we have to name it as like a bromance to keep it manly, sort of, or it's automatically thought of that it has some sort of homoerotic connection. But reality of real love and friendships means that we can have loving relationships of the same sex outside of marriage that are healthy and helpful for us to go through all kinds of things. I have to tell you that this is a place where I've always felt stunted. I have had great friends, adventurous men that have been asked me on camping trips and long hikes and let's go on the Appalachian Trail and let's make knives together and like do all kinds of fun manly stuff. And me, as a guy, in general, I have felt like nobody brought me to the man store. And so whenever anybody asked me to go hunting or something manly, I feel like, well, I don't know how to do that. Nobody ever brought me to the man store to get that gear to become that man. And women, there's probably a women's store, too, that you feel like, well, nobody ever blah, 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 blah. And I don't know what that is. I'm not going to try to go there. But when it comes to engaging these same-sex loving relationships... I have had a very, very hard time committing to those friendships, feeling very intimidated by what it might look like. 
And then as society and television tells me what a same-sex relationship looks like, I go, well, now I'm really nervous because I don't want to look like a certain way. I want to bring you to 1 Samuel verse, uh, chapter 18, verse 1. It's a scripture about David and Jonathan. David and Jonathan, uh, again, in our society, have been turned on its head where they are named as some of the ways that uh, the Bible describes uh, uh, love uh, that's proposed to be sexual when it's really not. This is actually deep, loving, same-sex relationship love in a friendship. And I believe that God wants to, us to look at it as an example of what it could look like for us. So after David finished talking with Saul, David is, uh, Saul is king of Israel at the time. David is sort of entering into what it means to be a leader in Israel. He's done some great David-Goliath type stuff already. He's known already that way. He met Saul, talked with Saul. They're okay, sort of. Saul's a little intimidated by him. He met Jonathan, the king's son, that's Saul's son. And there was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. This is love. This is real love. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. This is, we've gone through these scriptures all over the place. In the Old Testament, this is the desire of God for loving relationships, that we would love one another as we love ourselves. To love God in such a way of, of elaborate love. So Jonathan sealed the pack. He, he saw that something was going on in God and David, and he sealed the pack. Look at this friendship. Look at the love that's expressed here. It is big. He sealed the pack by taking off his robe, giving it to David, together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. And again, when we're, we're looking at a scripture, and it says love, and we're seeing men take clothes off in front of each other. I have to tell you, I was just in a sauna in Minnesota. There was nothing uncomfortable about that moment. But here in this scripture, what we're engaging in every biblical way is a moment where a man of royal heritage, this is Jonathan, has royal clothes on, and he recognizes that God is doing something with David that's quite different. In fact, God is calling David to be the next king, not Jonathan. Saul wanted Jonathan to be king. He wanted his son, someone who he could control. David he can't control. David has slayed his thousands. So he takes off his royal robes, just like the father in the prodigal son story. Do you remember that? When he said, bring this royal robe, make sure you put it on my son. Because at that moment, everywhere in the Near East, when you take a robe like that and you place it on someone, it says you are now the receiver of the royal inheritance. You are now going to be living out a calling of royalty in your life. Have you ever done that with a friend? Have you ever given up something in your life so that your friend could inherit something that you already had? You ever let somebody stay with you for a while because they were having a hard time? You ever introduce somebody so that they could get a job? You ever bring them into your home and say, listen, I know that things are tough. Let's talk about this. I'm going to continue to invest in you. Jonathan, like Jesus, this is what real love is. He gives up and sacrifices his own favor, his own worth, his own determination for good life, and he says, I want to hand it to you. 
David because God's doing something in you. Jonathan is giving away his throne. Jonathan is taking a posture towards God and towards sacrificial, long-suffering love for his friend. In 2 Samuel 1.17, that love was so determined, there was a whole conflict that went on. David went and proved himself to Saul just enough to marry one of his daughters, Micaiah. And she completely betrayed him on her wedding night. Saul was going to kill David, and when Saul came in and all the, the, the soldiers came in, they said, where's David? And she said, he escaped, but he told me that he was going to kill me. And all of a sudden, David's betrayed by his wife. And then later, Jonathan says, no, I'm not going to betray you like that. They had to have a coming to Jesus moment together. Jonathan, are you going to betray me just like your sister did? And he proved himself again. So finally, after Jonathan dies, David composes a funeral song. This is 2 Samuel 1.17. For Saul and Jonathan. And he commanded that it be taught to the people of Judah. And it says like this, Oh, how the mighty heroes have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies dead on the hills. How I weep for you, my brother Jonathan, and how much I loved you. And your love for me was deep, deeper than the love of women. And again, we look at the Old Testament and go, this is weird. Because in today's Western society, any relationship that you have with a man that would be stronger than a woman would be. And here we are. And, and David's saying, no, where your sister completely betrayed me, you didn't. Your love was stronger for me. Have you ever had a friendship like that? Where you knew? There's, there's so many of us in this room have gone through divorce. Who was there for you when you were betrayed? Have you ever had a friendship that said, I'm not going to betray you. I'm going to stick with you through this. You're not alone. I'm going to make sure that I declare God's mercy, God's inheritance, God's blessing on you through the years. I'm going to stick with you through this. This is the friendship that real love demonstrates. It's self-sacrificial. It is uh, 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 loving to the point that no matter who gives up on you, this friend will not give up on you. I believe that there are plenty of marriages, and I've seen them through our church over the last 10 years. Marriages suffer because they don't have that friendship beside them. So when things go a little awry in the marriage, they don't have anybody to talk to. Their spouse has become their best friend, and since then, they don't need any friends anymore. And the busyness of life and raising children, and goodness, can we find any time in our schedule away from watching Netflix to be able to invest in those friendships? Of course we can. Why? Because God desires to demonstrate his self-sacrificial love, not just through marriage relationships, but through friendships that are so sacrificial that we know they would never betray us. It's why some of the most important small groups that we have here, these monthly gatherings of men, these monthly gatherings of women, are so that we can stay healthy, refer to one another in such a love that demonstrates a sacrifice so we can endure the rest of life because Real love endures all kinds of trial. We need these friendships to help guide us. So what is real love in marriage? What could it look like? 
as our same-sex friendships, those loving friendships are helping us navigate the romantic relationships that we're having. I believe there's one thing God wants to say to us, which is our hardened hearts are not too hard for God. Our hardened hearts are not too hard for God. Whether we have fantasized about divorce, gotten divorced, have made our own vows against investing in marriage ever again or getting married again, or we've just decided that I'm not going to give any attention to my spouse anymore, God offers the kind of forgiveness for each one of us, no matter where we've been, a kind of forgiveness that softens our hearts and sets us free to real love again. Our hardened hearts are not too hard for God. The way that love is treated today in relationships, outside of the church, it seems like there's no example anymore of a kind of love that would be willing to forgive completely. A love that says, no matter what you've been through, I forgive you and I love you. The love that God's trying to offer us in marriage comes from a place where he knows that loving one another in marriage is too hard just for us. Marriage is too difficult. In fact, this is Matthew 19. It's a very interesting conversation Jesus is having with Pharisees and his disciples, and he's talking about adultery. Now, Jesus has already talked about the moment that you think about having an affair, you have committed adultery. So the line has already been crossed by everyone. And Jesus replies, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession. Why? To our hard hearts. But I tell you, that's not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife, marries someone else, commits adultery, unless his wife has been unfaithful. Jesus' disciples then said to him, if this is the case, can you hear his disciples like, wait a second, you have gone too far, Jesus. Are you kidding me? If this is the case, it's better not to marry. And for some of you who have been married, for some of you who have not been married, and you're thinking, gosh, it's going to be really hard to be celibate. It's going to be really difficult to be single. I don't have those life-sustaining, same-sex loving relationships in my life that can help continue in challenging me and loving me in ways that God wants to love me. Jesus said, not everyone can accept this statement. Only those whom God helps. Some are born as eunuchs, those that have lost uh, their ability to reproduce. Some have been made eunuchs by others for the sake of slaves being in wealthy households and entrusting to them some things without worrying about them having affairs and whatnot in their households. And some chose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. I keep going back to verse 11, and I, I feel like God wants us to center here. Marriage, singleness, celibacy, the kind of commitment that's necessary to engage either romantic love in that commitment or the absence of that romantic love can only be done with God's help. If we're not crying out to God, 
in the midst of those kinds of relationships or without those relationships, we are absolutely desperate. If you've been divorced and you haven't been able to go through the kind of freedom and forgiveness either for your former spouse or for yourself, where God says you are completely forgiven and set free. This is the kind of love that God wants for us. We can't endure marriage, divorce, celibacy without the kind of blessing of unconditional love that only Jesus can give us, the kind of love that endures through every kind of trial. That's who Jesus is. And so what could real love look like to us? How does God posture himself to us in his own real love? For so many of us, and I was in my guy small group the other night, and small group leader posed it to me, and I, I had to just try to make excuses, but he kept poking at me, and I was really thankful he did. If you were to be asked the question, do you believe that God really loves you? Do you believe, no matter what, that he loves you? Do you believe that there's so much love for you that no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, that he thinks the world of you? That he is turned towards you. That he spends his days looking at you and thinking, I love them so much. If you're like me, and you believe that at any moment God's lightning could come down and kill me because of the sin that I've had in my life, then you would say, like me probably, no, I really don't believe that God loves me that much. Maybe if I get a little bit better, God might love me. Maybe if I didn't make that mistake, God would love me. Maybe if I performed better in life, God would love me. But right now, I'm not there yet. Real love can feel undeserved because it is. The love that God has for us that endures every trial has to be able to endure every trial by being a love that is completely undeserved. God's love for you is a love that goes through every circumstance, forgives every sin, sets every freedom in your life, sets you free from everything that you've been locked down to. And no matter if you're free or not, God still continues to posture himself in real love through every trial. Even when you're not looking at God and reaching out to God, God's still looking at you and reaching out to you. This is what real love is. We can tell what real love is when there's nothing we can do to prove that we deserve it. And what a beautiful church and how beautiful the feet of those who bring this kind of good news. I love this church, and I'll tell you why. When people come into the door, through the door, not knowing what church is supposed to be like or what it's for, they see your eyes and your smile. And your eyes and your smile say, I love you anyway. I don't know where you've been. I just love you. The Holy Spirit so fills the people in this room that there's a posture that's made so that no matter who you are or where you've been, the truth of real love is revealed, which is I love you.
I love you. Jesus saying, I love you. And from that expression comes this beautiful word called joy. And joy is built up in people. And we're able to live in that joy and that love. And wouldn't you know it, sometimes that turns into hope. And if you want anything to change your relationships in life, hope is what we need. Real love feels undeserved because it is. But every single moment I step into this room and I receive some, some taste of it, I know that God loves me and that it will endure through every trial. I want to continue to read. I began this, the sermon with 1 John 4, 9. I'm going to read it again and then finish it out. This is, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, here it is. You should be an amazing partner at Mission Vineyard. Look at that, First John. <laughs> Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to find some friends who we can lovingly express ourselves to in deep and vulnerable ways. That's not what he said. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to invest in our marriages in such ways that we believe that God can soften our hearts no matter what's going on. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. God lives in this church. God lives in your homes. God lives in your life, in your workplace. And his love is brought to full expression. Get this, the full expression of real love. This is God's promise for you and for me. God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. And if you don't know that he loves you, watch this. I'll prove it to you, God says. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. There were a couple of words this morning that people were praying for. There was a whole team that were trying to listen for what Jesus might have in store for us today. Someone who is struggling with purity. Someone who has an autoimmune disorder. And in this beautiful word, come to me, all of you who are heavy laden, and receive my joy. We have a beautiful opportunity this morning in this safest of place that is designed and structured all for the sake of his love being fulfilled, that you might receive him today. In just a moment, there'll be some prayer teams in this corner ready to receive Anybody with any emotional, physical, or spiritual need, and I would especially pay attention to these words on the screen. But I also have a calling for you today. I encourage you today, in responding to God's real love towards you, in hearing his scripture and his perspective and his posture towards you, to make a decision today to commit to friendship 
to find some friends. So much of us can say, well, friendships in my life, it's, they're very difficult. It's an area that feels stunted. I always feel like people never commit themselves. And, and God is saying, it's time for you to self-sacrifice yourself and surrender to pursuing some lifelong whether they stay around or not, some lifelong friendships that can help support you and remind you of God's love. For some of you, it's a commitment to let God soften your heart, your marriages. And we'll talk more about this next week. Some of your marriages have gotten to the place where you're just doing the day-to-day and you're not sure how that's supposed to change. And God's saying, just let me soften your heart. Don't worry about what's going on in the relationship. Let me deal with you and your heart because my My love is big enough for your hardened heart. I think for all of us, there's a posture that Jesus is asking us to have, which is to receive the Holy Spirit. For most of us who would say, I don't really believe that God loves me, there's a gift that God wants us to to receive today of the real palpable presence of his Holy Spirit. So, for those of you who have any need that's been spoken of on the screen emotional, physical, anything like that, I encourage you, if you want help making that commitment, if there's some forgiveness that you still need to engage, please see one of the teams this morning. I'm also going to take a risk this morning, and I'm going to stay up here as this worship team is here, and I'm going to ask, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if you're a person that just feels like, I want God to to show me that he loves me, I want you to come up here, and I want to pray for you personally, to receive the Holy Spirit as proof as proof that he loves you so much. And it's a risk. But I ask you to make it today so that you know that God loves you before you leave. We're going to worship together. Let's all take this posture towards God's real love this morning. So, as I'm hearing the sermon, um, it's not in our slides. It's not in the music in front of us. But I think most most of us know the refrain, uh, he loves us, oh how he loves us. So if you know it, sing with me. He loves us, oh how 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 he loves us,
amazing. He wants to love us more no matter what circumstance we've been in or what circumstance we're in right now. He loves you so much, and his real love is the kind of love that can endure through every single trial. So would you receive this blessing? Stand with me and receive this blessing. This is what God wants for us, that you would go out in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, filled with the real love of God, filled with the Holy Spirit that proves his love to you, enduring love that takes you through every week and every circumstance. I bless you in Jesus' name. Go in peace.